Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on January 19th, 2021 during our Wednesday evening service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our Awana program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. When Gigi and I first got married, we lived in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, when we started dating uh, over the internet. We met on eHarmony, um, and we were falling for each other, and then she decided that she was going to move, and she was going to get as close to me as possible, and uh, so we were hoping she could find a, a, a job at Altoona, but back then, the uh, Altoona Hospital had just been bought, and there was a hiring freeze, and the closest she could get was Johnstown, and so when we got married, I moved in with her at the apartment, waited till after we were married, uh, to Johnstown, and uh, I was the assistant pastor at Penwood Bible Church in Everett. So every week I would drive back and forth from Johnstown to Everett and Everett to Johnstown. And I did that for longer than I would have liked, but that was just the situation. Now, why do I tell you that? I don't like to drive in the snow. But there's something I like driving in less than I like driving in the snow, and that's the fog. I hate to drive in the fog. And I cannot tell you how many times on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night after church that I was driving home on 56 from Everett to get back to Johnstown where my visibility was worse than what you're seeing. And there were times when I spent as much time praying as I did breaking because I could not see very far in front of me. And if you've spent any time on 56, you know how treacherous uh, that road can be, especially when you have no visibility. It's not fun to drive when you can't see where you're going. It's a very terrifying experience. But the reality is, Some of us go through days, weeks, months, sometimes even years, and we don't really understand or see where it is that God is leading us. We go through life, and it's like walking through the fog. We have just enough light for the path in front of us, which, by the way, is all the light that God promises us, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. God promises us the light for the next step. He doesn't promise us the light to see 5, 10, 20 years down the road. And we can make our plans, and sometimes God blesses us and those plans come to fruition. But many times, life doesn't end up 
the way we expect it to or the way we planned it. And God doesn't promise us that we can have everything the way that we want or that we think everything should come together this certain way or that certain way. There are many times in life when walking with God is much like driving through the fog. And your job, your mission is just to have enough light to keep that car between the lines and to not get too close to the car in front of you. So when we come to Genesis chapter 15, we see Abraham in Canaan and he's in a spiritual fog. And I want to read a few of these verses to you, but before we do, let's just very quickly, since it has been a few weeks for some of us since we've been together in Genesis 15, uh, let's talk about why we're here and how we got here. Abraham is our model of saving faith. That's Galatians chapter 3. That's Romans chapter 4. But he's also our model for serving faith. It's through Abraham that God the Father would send not only Abraham's son, Abraham's seed, but the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, to literally fulfill the promises that God made all the way back in the Garden of Eden and that God would continue to make throughout history. And God made promises to Abraham. Promises that involved the land of Israel, but also promises that involved the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ Himself. And even though Abram was raised by demon worshipers. He was submissive to the call of God. Now, as we've seen in this study, Abraham obeyed God's call in stages. He obeyed God's call imperfectly. God was teaching him. God was patient with him. Nevertheless, Abraham did not start out in the pages of Scripture as some kind of spiritual giant. He did not start out the man that we remember him today. But he had willingness to obey God and willingness to repent when he fell down and to get back up and to keep going. He was learning to worship throughout this experience. And, you know, sometimes we read the pages of Scripture and it's, and, and it's like um, it, it all happened over the course of a week or a few months. But we are trekking with Abraham in this study through decades of God's working in his life. This is a, a man who was growing over time and he would build altars and monuments of the times when God uh, uh, really knocked him down and really got his attention and, and called him to repentance. And we see throughout Abram's life that his faith was tested by God. And we're going to see even tonight is, is another form of that test. The spiritual fog that Abram found himself in. Nevertheless, as we saw in chapter 14, Abram's faith shined brightly in the midst of conflict, in the midst of chaos. And it seems like when the, when the going really got tough, that's when Abram got going. And that's when he really trusted God and, and showed his great faith in God. And so we, we see in chapter 14, there's this powerful king. He's immensely powerful. He's immensely feared. His army is so devastatingly led and equipped that they're able to subdue tribes, not just individual giants, but tribes of giants. And then after they have these massive, this massive campaign, these massive battles and victories over these giants, 
there's this rebellion that involves the king of Sodom, and there's this massive arm uh, battle of nine armies, okay, like something out of the Lord of the Rings almost, where you have all of these armies coming together and they're fighting one another. And the, this king uh, is victorious, and he kidnaps Abram's nephew Lot, and Abram doesn't look at the fearsomeness of the king or the devastating power of his army. He just says, that's my nephew and God has given me a calling and God is with me. And so he takes 318 of his trained servants and they go and they free Lot and they have this great victory over this powerful king. And then we saw also in chapter 14 that after that victory, the king of Sodom wants to bless Abram and wants to give him reward for saving their hides, but Abram is wise enough to reject the blessing of the ungodly and to wait on the blessing of God and to wait for God to bless. And in fact, he showed his willingness to tithe, to give tithes to the king of Salem, who, which, a city which would later become known as Jerusalem, uh, this king Melchizedek, uh, who was a priest king and God blessed Abram through Melchizedek, even as Abram blessed God through Melchizedek. And so we see now Abram, he is battle-tested, he is time-tested, and yet he is also spiritually weary. Is that you tonight? You've spent time with God, you have uh, seen God's faithfulness in your life, but you have a lot of unanswered questions. And you have a lot of struggles and you're in the middle of a spiritual fog and I want to show you beginning tonight I'm not sure if we'll get through all of this tonight we may finish this next week but faith in the fog Abram's faith in the fog and some steps that Abram took and some steps that God led Abram to take to defeating his doubts and these stories are here these Historical narratives are here not just for our entertainment, not just for our curiosity, but to show us how God deals with His people and to show us the steps of faith that men like Abram took in obeying God and why God blessed Abram the way that He did so that we can imitate their faith. That's why we have Hebrews chapter 11. It's not just to look at those men and women of faith and say, wow, how impressive, but so that we can learn from their examples, learn from the mistakes that they made, learn from the victories that they got to enjoy. And so now tonight, steps to defeating our doubts. Look with me in Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, after this series of battles and after this victory that Abram had and his encounter with Melchizedek and his encounter with the king of Sodom and his deliverance of his nephew Lot. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Isn't it interesting that it was after the victory and after the battle that Abram was still struggling with his fear. What fear was he struggling with? He wasn't afraid of King uh, Kedoliamar. So what was the fear he was struggling with? 
It was something more personal. Listen to what happens next. Abram said, verse 2, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? See, God had made some promises to Abram. He says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to go to the land that I will show you. I will bless those who bless thee. I will curse those who curse thee. I'm going to make you a great nation. And here he is. He's wandering and he's seen God's faithfulness in his life. But he doesn't have what he wants the most. And what God has, by the way, promised him, which is a descendant, an heir. He doesn't have an heir. Is God going to keep this promise? This promise that God has made to me, is God going to keep this promise because He hasn't kept it yet? God, what are You doing? What will You give me, Lord, seeing as You've called me to this land. You say You're going to give it to my descendants. I don't even have a child yet. My heir, you, God, You even uh, called me to leave my father's house and he, I even had to separate from my own nephew who was at least my flesh and, and blood, and now I have this man in my house who's, who's my servant, and, and he's now my heir apparent. Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, verse 3, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now, there's some steps to defeating doubt that God, again, He leads Abram through and that Abram is willing to follow and that you and I need to follow as well. And the first one here is in verse 1. Remember that the Lord is your shield. The Lord is your shield, not your finances, because they can be gone and taken like that. Who knows what's going to happen to 401Ks in the next year or two? Who knows what's going to happen to our retirement plans? Who knows what's going to happen? Your finances can evaporate like that. Your health cannot be your shield. Your health can vanish just like that. Your spouse cannot be your shield. Your kids cannot be your shield. Your parents cannot be your shield. Your best friend, what you're good at cannot be your shield. Now, those are all blessings that God has given us, but He must be the shield. He must be the one that we trust in for our ultimate protection. Because there is a day coming, if the Lord tarries, when we will all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we will all stand before God on our own. And unless we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and unless He has been our Good Shepherd, unless there was a time in our life where we recognized our sin and our need to be saved and our need for forgiveness of sin and recognized that God provided one Savior, Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross for our sin. He, he paid for our sin with His own blood and He rose again victorious and He offers us forgiveness and He offers us eternal life. Not so that we can get some kind of ticket to ride to heaven when we die, but so that we can have a restored relationship with God as our Father through Jesus Christ and that we're walking in life with Jesus Christ as our Good Shepherd unless... That was a good catch, wasn't it? 
unless we are walking through life with Jesus Christ as our shepherd and our shield, we are walking on thin ice. And we are going to be walking in the fog without our headlights on. You know, we, we were driving one night when I was in college and we were out, we were driving from Roanoke to Lynchburg and, and this was a, a patch of road where there were no street lights and, and uh, we were just kind of being silly one night and, and both of us who were driving, we just turned our headlights off at the same time. And I mean, it was, they didn't stay off for long, okay? It was pitch black. I mean, I might as, might as well have been in a cave. I mean, it was pitch black. And we turned those out, and for there was that, that moment of terror of realizing I'm going 65 miles an hour, and I can't see an inch in front of my car. And those lights popped right back on, and they popped on the other vehicle too, right? We've, and that's the last time I did that. That's the last time I did that. Jesus Christ must be our shield. If you are going through life, Without Jesus Christ as your shield, you might as well be driving without your headlights because that is as much direction as you can be as confident as you want. But eventually you're going to find the road has left you behind and you're going to find yourself in a heap of trouble. Jesus Christ will never leave you. Jesus Christ will never forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 God says to us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that verse is very interesting because the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting Joshua 1.5. When God said to Joshua, never will I leave you. You be, you be strong, you be courageous because I am with you. I am with you, so you be strong, you be courageous. And the writer of Hebrews says, guys, God doesn't just care about Joshua. That promise is not just made in the Old Testament for Joshua's sake. That promise is a promise that God makes to Joshua because Joshua was his servant and he makes it to all who are his servants. And if that's you, that means that God is never going to leave you or forsake you as well. It's why when Jesus gave the Great Commission, how did he end it? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm not, I'm leaving physically but i'm not leaving you as orphans i'm sending the holy spirit the spirit of christ to live inside of us to walk with us to guide us jesus christ is our shield psalm 56 verse 11 i didn't catch the water so good that time psalm 56 verse 11 in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Verse 12, Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto Thee. David says, you know what? Because I have the promises of God, two things are true. I'm not going to be afraid. And I'm going to give you praise. I'm not going to be afraid. Even when I have to stand in front of a nine foot six inch tall giant that is so terrifying and menacing that not a single warrior in Israel would stand against him. Just one shepherd kid who didn't know enough to know that he was outmatched because he was foolish enough to trust God and not himself. And oh, for the foolishness to not trust myself so that I can be fully trusting in God. And then 
what did David do in front of Goliath? He gave God praise. He, gave, he said, oh, you unwashed Philistine, don't you know the God that you are calling out? You think I'm, just, you think I'm here with just a handful of, of stones? I'm here, with the, I'm here with the Lord of hosts. I'm here with God himself. That's why I'm not afraid of you. God must be our shield. Number two, remember the Lord is your shield, but also, verse one, treasure the Lord as your greatest reward. Treasure the Lord as your greatest reward. Listen to what God says to him again. This is so precious. In a vision, he says, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and I thy exceeding great reward. Abram, I know you want a kid. I know you want a son. I know how bad your heart is aching for that. But do you understand? I am the only one who can fill the God-sized hole in your soul. And there is, I don't remember which of the quote-unquote church fathers was the first to say it, Augustine or whoever it was that said it. Not a fan of Augustine, but if he said it, then he, good, good on him for saying this. Every one of us has a God-sized hole inside of us that only He is large enough, only the infinite God can fill. And we can try to fill it with everything else. But if you're more concerned about the gift than the giver, it's because you don't realize that He is the gift as well. He is God's greatest gift. The giver is the greatest gift. He is God made flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of, the one of, as of the one and only God full of grace and truth. He came to live with us. And by the way, He is coming back for us to live with us. He is the great reward. He is the one who's going to bring peace on earth. He is the one who's going to bring justice to the world. He is the one who is going to put an end to disease and sickness and warfare and all of the conflict that we have in this world. By the way, people are still going to reject Him because that's how powerful the sin nature is. People are still going to reject Him. He's going to give the world a utopia and people are still going to be born in His kingdom that are going to reject Him and rebel against Him because they don't like the fact that they don't get to sin. Right? This is the condemnation. This is the verdict, Jesus said in John 3. Light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's going to be true the second time He comes just as it is true the first time. But don't you be that person who loves darkness more than the light of the gift Himself. He Himself is the greatest gift. This is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, you know what I want more than anything is to know Him. Is to know Him that I might know Him. Listen to this. Turn with me. Keep your finger in Genesis and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. I don't know if you underline in your Bible or not, but these are verses that you need to underline if you do underline in your Bible. Philippians chapter 3. Let me pick it up in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, speaking of my past life as a zealot, a Pharisee persecuting the church, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss 
for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings. That's speaking of the cross. He's saying, look, you know what I want to focus my life on? The empty tomb and the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what I want my life to be all about. I want the hope of the resurrection and I want the knowledge that God loved me so much that He suffered and died for me. He paid my sin debt. He shed His blood for for me, for my sin. I want that to be the focus of my life. I want Jesus Christ to be the focus of my life. Being made conformable unto His death if by any means I might attain unto the uh, resurrection of the dead. Not as though I already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect or mature. If you're mature, Paul says, you want to consider yourself the older brother or the mature older sister in the church, if you're spiritually mature, this is the mark of maturity that you are thus minded, that that's your focus. That you are thus minded, and if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. This goes back to Abraham. Abraham, I am the reward. I'm going to keep my promise to you. You're going to have what I promised you. You will have a descendant. But don't think that that descendant is going to fulfill you. Don't think that that child is going to make your life complete. I am the only one who can make you complete. That stupid line from that old stupid movie, Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Hogwash. Hogwash. And if that... If you're going to put your spouse on that kind of a pedestal or your child on that kind of pedestal or anybody on that kind of pedestal, you are setting them up and you're setting yourself up because only God can fulfill that role. Only God can complete you. He is the reward. I, you know, I, I used to be obsessed with celebrities and I used to you know, get the magazines uh, and I knew who all, you know, I knew who were the uh, actors and actresses in all the movies and who the directors were and I was all obsessed with that kind of stuff and who the bands were and who was in the band and all of it. and I used to get, get all about that and uh, you know there's a study that just came out that uh, people who are celebrity obsessed are less intelligent right because <laughs> it, it's dumb it is dumb and I got old enough and mature enough to realize that half the people I used to think were so cool I went, and it would be so awesome to hang oh I can't I I would love to meet them. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. When you find out some things that they're actually like and what they're really like in real life, they're not really the character they portray on TV. Did you know that? That's not a real person. That's a fictional character. They're fake. Their whole, their whole career is to pretend to be somebody that they're not. But do you understand, whatever, wherever your interest, man, if I could... You know, I I would love to meet that musician, or I'd love to meet that artist, or I'd love to... How about the creator of music? How about the creator of color? 
How about the creator of art? Oh, I'd love, you know, I wish I could do this like that person. Or I wish I could have so-and-so teach me how to do this. Do you understand that the creator of the universe loves you? Wants to have a relationship with you? Wants to be with you? Wants you to spend time with them in prayer, in the Word? Not so you can check off a box. Not so that you can read your Bible. Oh, I read my Bible today. I, I, I earned my credit with God. No, th- because the creator of the universe has things that He wants to say to you and speak into your life. Treasure the Lord as your greatest reward. Well, you can already tell, I think, that we're not going to get through all seven of these steps tonight. That's okay, but let's, let's take one or two more before we, before we close tonight. Remember the Lord is your shield. Remember the Lord and treasure the Lord as your greatest reward because He is exceedingly great. And then number three, Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. And identify your biggest questions and then take them to the Lord. Identify the questions that you have and take them to the Lord. That does not mean that God promises to give you the answer that you want. Okay? Remember the story of Job? Job has lots of questions for God. And when I get to see him... I got all these questions I'm going to ask him, Job, Job, when he's having this debate with his three friends. And at the beginning of the book, God tells us that Job Job has not sinned and Job has remained faithful. But as we read through the book and Job begins to express his anger and his frustration, and I get it. I mean, I get it. He's lost his kids. He's lost his health. He's lost his wealth. And all that the Satan has left him with and all that God has allowed Satan to leave, leave him with is a bitter woman who is hurting as much as he is hurting. And she is hurting the one that she loves the most because of her pain. And here Job is and he's arguing with, and even his friends have turned against him and he's arguing with his friends and he's beginning to question God and he's beginning to get frustrated with God. And God sends a preacher, some young kid, to get up in his face, Elihu, and say, hey, uh, y'all need to shut up. And y'all need to stop questioning God. And I've been, he says, I've been, keeping my, I've been keeping quiet. I've been keeping my mouth shut because I'm the kid on the block. And y'all are older than me and more mature. But y'all need to stop because you are saying stupid things about God. And oh, by the way, if don't take my word for it. Here comes God Himself to tell you Himself And then remember when God shows up and says, oh, Job, I heard you got some questions for me. I heard you got some problems with how I've been running your life. And Job says, "Uh, no more questions. No more. uh, I'm good. I'm good, God. I've been a fool. And God said, no, no, no. Let, Let me read you my resume. Let me remind you who I am and how great and powerful I am. Let me remind you that I'm in control and how I know it in every single thing that I've done to show you I'm in control. And Job finally says, you know what, God, you're absolutely right. And then God doesn't punish Job. God understands why he asked those questions. And God is gracious and patient with him. And here's the, here's the point. God is big enough for your questions. God is big enough for your pain. God is big enough. Don't pretend you don't have those questions. 
Don't pretend you don't have those doubts. Don't pretend you don't have the, Don't go driving through the fog pretending that the fog is not there. Ask God your questions. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God about why you are hurting and why you're struggling. Now listen, you may not like the answer. I, I can tell you that, uh, that back in the, uh, the summer of 2007, I, I, won't go into, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but I was really frustrated with God. I was angry with God. And I, in prayer, kind of let God have it. And the Holy Spirit sat me down for a few minutes and began to share some things and bring some conviction in my life and show me some things that, that I needed to deal with and that I needed to change. And I mean, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard the Holy Spirit and I didn't get the answer that I wanted. But listen, I needed those answers. I needed, the, I needed to have that time with God and just to be honest with Him and not try to, to hide things from God as if, well, I just won't tell Him why I'm so angry at Him as if he doesn't know. So take your anger, take your questions, take your doubt, take your fear to the Lord. It's so obvious, but why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? God appears to Abram in a vision. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. What's the problem? And so Abram says, God, you you know, you haven't answered my request. You haven't kept your promise yet. I mean, what, what are you doing, God? And God answers. God is patient. God is gracious. And God answers. Be honest with yourself. Admit your fears so that you can abandon them. Admit your doubts so that you can deal with your doubt. And so that you can say to your doubt, I'm going to trust God. Yes, I have this fear, but I'm going to trust God. Yes, I have this doubt, but I'm going to trust God. Sometimes we don't trust God because we we're so absorbed in the doubt and the fear that we don't deal with the doubt and the fear. And we're, we just stay in the fog. You want to get out of the fog. You want to get out of the fog as quickly as you can. And the way to get out of the fog is not to turn off your lights and put the car in park in the middle of the road. It's to go with the light that you have in the direction that God is leading you. And to be honest with your doubt. Let me give you one more of the seven. We'll talk about the other three things, Lord willing, next week. But I want you to see again this answer of God back in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. God says to him, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, verse 4, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now notice what God does next. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And as he is looking into the night sky, and it must have been a clear night because God was showing him abroad. And if you've ever been under a clear night, night sky, maybe out west somewhere where there's not a lot of city light and you just see the stars. And Abram looks up at what God has made. 
And he goes, okay. You who made all this, I trust you. I see your power. I see your majesty. I see the power of God to create the stars. I see the artistry of God to create the beauty of the galaxy above me. And as I look up in the stars and I see what you're saying to me, God, and I see your ability to accomplish that, me having a child that you've promised me is not such a big ask. If we really spend some time to contemplate the power of God, we will learn to trust the maker of the stars. This is not the only time that God has done this. This is the testimony. Psalm 19 says, night after night, day after day, the sun declares the glory of God. Night after night, the heavens declare the glory of God. Why don't we stop like we did when we were kids and we looked up at the sky as a, as when, when we were little boys, little girls, and we looked up and we were just amazed for the first time. How many times do we not take the time because we're so busy to just stop and look up at God's fingerprint, His power, His artistry, and to think if He can do all of that, why do I think that my problem is so big for God? If He can do all of that, you know what the reaction of the psalmist was? Not can God handle my problem, but what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of Man, that thou visiteth Him. The God who did all of that cares about me. The God who does all that cares about my life and my problems and my challenges. He cares and He's powerful enough to keep His promises. This is how Job 35 begins, by the way. Let me just... And we could multiply... Verses looking at Psalm chapter 8, Psalm 19, Psalm 111-2. But let me just close, since we talked about Job a few minutes ago with Psalm 35, when Elihu stands up to these, to these four older men who've had this debate which has raged on and on. And Elihu spake moreover and said, Thinkest thou this to be right, that thou saidest my righteousness is more than God? you guys think that you're holier than God? Is that, is that what you think? You, you're really holier than God? For thou sayest, what advantage will it be unto thee? Listen to this. He says, I will answer thy companions with thee. In verse 5, he does the same thing. Look unto the heavens and see and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. He said, you don't even have to... See, it wasn't even nighttime yet. He said, "Look look at the glory of the clouds that God created. You think that... You're higher than He is? You think that you know more than He does? Look at what God has placed above all of us to show His power and His majesty and His skill. And when I'm dealing with doubt, I need to remember the God who is my shield. I need to remember the God who is my reward. I need to be honest about my questions. And then I need to look up at what God has displayed for all of us and I need to say, I'm going to trust the one who made all that and still cares about me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for Abraham, your love 
for all of us. God, you uh, love this world so much, you sent Jesus to die for it. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And, and, and Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for us and, and for raising him from the dead. And God, may we, as we go through the questions in this life and the trials in this life, may we, God, remember to look up and to trust you and to be focused on you for all you are and who you are and not just, God, what we want to get from you. To have the courage that we need to live the lives you've called us to in these dark days. We love and thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and you would like to know how, please give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.